0: Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. Today we're gonna be looking at this passage for us to consider what it means to live generous lives. Um, We have every reason to be generous because God has been generous with us, amen? The Lord has sent his son, Jesus, to die for sinners like us. One day he emptied himself He was just like God, he was God himself, and yet he empties himself, he becomes poor, we find today in our passage, so that we would become rich, so that we would have an inheritance, so that we would have forgiveness of sins and eternity with God. So so God has been, in ways that he's demonstrated, he's been extremely, incredibly, beyond this world, otherworldly generous with people who don't deserve his generosity in grace, in his grace and kindness he has given us Christ. So therefore we as Christians who have received redemption, who have been forgiven of our sins, we have the call upon our lives and how we should respond is we ourselves are generous. Generous to understand that all that we have belongs to God. And how we are to leverage our lives as stewards of all that is his anyway. And how we could together as individuals, and as a church family, live for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus Christ as the gospel is being taken to the ends of the earth. Amen? So I want us to look at a passage that we've seen in the past. I think it's one of those passages that really speak of of what it means to live generously when, when we think about our giving, when we think about all that the Lord has given us to steward and how we can leverage that. What's, what is it? How is it that we should respond to the grace of God when we speak about our resources and the things that the Lord has given us? So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, he, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as, it, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in our earnestness, and in, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also." I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Father, now that your word has been read, I pray that you would focus our hearts, our minds so that the truths that are found within, by your Spirit's power, would effectively change us, perhaps some for salvation and others for a greater understanding. Lord, our desire is this, that we would respond to grace rightly today, that we would respond accordingly to the measure of what you're doing in each one of our lives. Oh, well, Lord, I pray that this church would understand that we have been given much, that to have Jesus is to have everything our heart desires, and that in him we can find satisfaction, joy, and peace, that in him our eternity is secure, that in him, Lord, we no longer have fear of wrath and death, that in Christ we have been accepted We become sons and daughters seated at your table, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift of your grace, the salvation we get to embrace now as it is ours in you. So, Father, be with us this time as we consider these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is speaking, writing to this church at Corinth, on the subject of being generous with their giving. And Paul has been on his missionary journeys collecting this offering for this church in Jerusalem among all these Gentile churches that he's been ministering to, planting or visiting a second or third time. You see, the Jerusalem church was extremely poor. They had serious needs. The reason is that that is where the church started, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and the thousands that were saved, and it was there in Jerusalem that, that the Spirit of God revealed, and, and, and those who were there hearing the powerful words of the gospel out of the, the mouth of Peter were redeemed, and the Spirit of God dwelt among them, and they became God's people. They were sealed by the Spirit of God. They became the body of Christ. They became the church at that moment, and there was thousands of believers there for several reasons. One, in all these feasts, there were many who would come from long distances to come worship in Jerusalem, so they left their homes, they packed their bags for these week-long, month-long journeys to go and be part of these feasts, Pentecost, Passover, whatever it may be. And there they were, they hear the word of the gospel, and they're saved. And what would happen is that they would remain there, because what if they're back home? There are no Christians back home. I found this new family in Christ. They would stay. So they would come, stay. They had no jobs, That they, they had nowhere to stay. So the Christians in Jerusalem would take him in and take him in as part of their now new family in Christ. And so in Acts chapter 2, it it tells us that the Christians in Jerusalem, since they had everything in common, they sold their possessions and, and, and they gave to each other. They provided the needs of each other. But eventually, those who were not of Jerusalem who came and stayed because of the gospel, they were being supported by those who were from Jerusalem, that had their families, their jobs, their homes, their livelihood. But because of the gospel they were likely rejected by their families, lost their jobs. Imagine being a Jew in Jerusalem where you, your, whole, your whole life you know, revolves around Judaism. Everything that you do revolves around Judaism. All the rules that you had to maintain and the law that you had to abide by and every aspect of your life had to do with your faith and your religion. Yet to come to Christ, the one who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. All these things that represent him, that point to him, and all the freedom that there is in Christ, not to be bound by the law, but to be free by his grace. Now, all of a sudden, could you imagine the divide among families? Could you imagine the hostility and soon to be persecution? So eventually, they ran out of their resources. They sold their properties. They left their businesses. They lost their jobs. They lost their... They're families. And, and, And here they are together trying to make it as the new church. And there is the great need of this church that now was being spread throughout the whole world, Asia Minor, where Paul was now preaching the gospel and planting churches. So in order to meet the needs of these poor saints, Paul was collecting money, from Gentile churches now, including this church at Corinth. And what we know that from our text here that this church at Corinth was already giving. They had started a year before and Paul was encouraging them, exhorting them to finish what they had started, to complete the offering. And he uses, in order to encourage them, the churches in Macedonia that had given. So he's celebrating that these are, these are churches in Macedonia who were excited, overwhelmed with the opportunity to give to the church in Jerusalem and he wants the church at Corinth to see the example how this, these churches in Macedonia were abounding in the grace of God, how they were so compelled towards generosity, he wanted to encourage the church at Corinth to say, be like these guys. Look how they are contributing to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And by default and by extension, there's a, there's a charge to us that we, the church, 2,000-some years later, that we would be people who are about the mission of God, the, the the fulfillment of the Great Commission as we go into the world, as we see opportunities before us, as we see the needs to take the gospel to every part of this world, that we too would be a people, a church. A church is composed of individuals who together are visibly the church of Christ, the body of Christ, but that we would be generous as well with our giving now something sweet was happening among these churches in macedonia they were abounding in god's grace the grace of god in jesus christ that had saved them and gave them a position in glory that redeemed them from their sins is the same grace that is moving them compelling them towards this extravagant generosity that we have just read and perhaps you can make the argument, and perhaps even for Paul, as he says, it, it just surprised him how generous they would be in ways that would not make sense. So Paul is commending these Macedonian churches while admonishing the church at Corinth. That we were to be like them. How, how beautiful it is. Imagine, I, I bet you these poor churches in Macedonia who, who their hearts were pounding because of the kindness of the Lord in Jesus Christ. Could you imagine them in their wildest dream where they think that they would end up in the pages of scripture? you know, Being read about their act of generosity and their response to the gospel of grace that all over the world for generations and centuries and millennia, that people would hear about these churches and how they gave for the work of the Lord. How beautiful that is. There's a lot that we could learn from these uh, uh, churches in Macedonia that I think we could apply to our lives. I have four truths for us, four truths that are being driven, are being derived right from the passage, right from the text. So it's not my opinion, it's not what I think. It is from God's word and hopefully it'll be compelling to you as the arguments are made, as we walk through the text. The first idea is this, if you have pen and paper, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first idea is this, generous giving is a work of God's grace. Generosity in our giving is a work of God's grace. He says in verse one, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul is using these uh, churches in Macedonia, using it as an example, as a church that had also experienced great difficulty like the church in Jerusalem. Their situation wasn't much different than in Jerusalem because it says that they had severe tests of affliction and that they also experienced extreme poverty. It is most likely that the same thing that happened to the Christians in Jerusalem was happening to them. Oh, they didn't have Judaism for the most part, but they did have pagan temples. They did have their pagan religions. These were Gentiles, and I'm sure that they as well, many lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods, excommunicated from their family. I'm sure some were beaten, and some were persecuted and tortured because they would refuse to go back to reject the gospel, reject Christ, and go back into their pagan religions and their idol worshiping. They they had a severe test of affliction. They had extreme poverty. Extreme poverty literally means they hit rock bottom. It speaks of a beggar who has absolutely nothing and without any hope of getting anything. And although they were severely afflicted, although they experienced extreme poverty, here's what's mind-blowing. It did not hinder them towards generosity. It did not hinder them from participation in this offering that was being collected for the sake of the gospel in Jerusalem. In fact, what we find in the text is that they gave with great joy a wealth of generosity, A wealth of generosity flowed from them, driven by the grace of God, verse 1. It was the grace of God that propelled them to be driven towards generosity. What, What a formula, right? If this was a math equation, we would say that severe affliction plus extreme poverty and the joy of the Lord equaled, extravagant generosity (laughs) interesting right oftentimes that's not how we think to be generous with our giving oftentimes we think well well if I have something left over after I do everything I want to do and if the opportunity arises then that might equal to some level of generosity yet yet how how different it is and it almost doesn't make sense and yet although Paul says there that it is beyond what they had expected. Um, I'm sure that he's just excited for these churches because that is the heart of Paul. Paul gave up everything for the sake of the gospel. Paul understood the day that he was redeemed, the day that he was saved. He counted all things as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. So everything in his life, everything was leveraged for the sake and for the cause and the fame of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verses two through 10, as he's speaking to this same church, he says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of, of righteousness for the for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Oh, Paul's heart was he understood that if he had the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he had the grace of God, his life one as one who's been redeemed, who is an heir of all that God has to offer in Jesus Christ, then he understood that then everything I have exists for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. Whether it be his resources, his his money, his gifts, his talents, his opportunities, His very intelligence, his his, uh, social status, all of it was to be leveraged for the sake of the gospel. And folks, here's the point. This is what grace achieves. A, A person who, or a people, the churches in Macedonia, that in spite their afflictions, in spite their poverty... Having received and embraced the grace of God and the reality of the amazing truth has caused them to understand and experience a sense of completeness and satisfaction that in turn, outflowing from their hearts was not only an experience and emotion, a conviction that they should and could be generous. They made no excuses. They could have. They could have had all types of excuses. You know, you know what? I can't be generous because gas is getting very expensive. I can't, I can't be a, a generous like that because I'm really funding my 401K. No, because you know, I, mean, I might look well off, but I'm really not. I'm just uh, up to my ears in debt. No, and, and obviously, we have to be good stewards of all that the Lord has given us. No one is saying abandon your your business and give it all away for the sake of the gospel and be a bad steward over there. No, everything you do, everything you do, everything you have is to be managed properly for the one who is our boss, the Lord Jesus. But the question becomes, how do those areas of your life, all those areas that you have the opportunity and the gift to manage, as a steward, how are you leveraging all those primarily for the sake of the gospel? Here's the point. This, these churches made no excuses. The grace of God propelled them not only to believe, but propelled them to love the Lord and his mission. And out of them was just flowing this, this generosity that they would not be denied. Denied. So therefore, here's what I'm trying to say, that for us to be generous with our giving, generous for the cause of Christ, it has little to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with our hearts. It's everything to do with our hearts. Generosity in giving is a work of God's grace. It flows from God's grace. But secondly, if you're taking note, Generous giving is of primary importance to the Christian life. Verse 3 tells us, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They gave on their own accord. They saw their place in God's kingdom, and they saw their purpose in that moment, the purpose of their lives. They understood to God's grace, so they responded rightly. They understood their relationship to God, they're God's people, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. They understood their calling to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, the, the mandate of Christ. They understood their priorities in life, to live for the gospel not for themselves. And they understood the value. They understood that Christ was everything for them. They gave because, in turn, God would be glorified. And that alone, it says, that they gave according to their means. And Paul says, beyond their means. In other words, even what they could not afford... They figured it out. No one had to remind them. No one had to coerce them. No one had to encourage them. They begged us earnestly. In other words, Paul, you will not deny us the blessing in participating in this offering for the sake of the gospel and the church in Jerusalem. They were enthusiastic about their contribution. They were proactive about it. They saw it as a blessing, and they would not be denied. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is that, that here we have an example of a church, a people who were, who, who were that in for the sake of the gospel, who were that excited about providing, even, even the things that they did not have. They, uh, I'm sure they banded uh, together and they, and they made all these collections and they put money together and they put resources uh, together in order to give to Paul so that he would go in their name and in the name of the Lord to bless these other churches. They, they wouldn't forget to do this. You know, sometimes we, we, we forget to do things because they're not important to us. Right. I mean, if your home is like my home, every once in a while, you wake up in the morning and you hear a truck driving by, like, oh, no, did someone take out the trash cans? And if you know you did it, you're putting shoes on, you're dragging it out, and out, you know, or you scream at one of your boys. I'm not going to say who I scream at, but, you know, you know, just, hey. Let's get this trash to the curb. No one was on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because at our house, it's on Thursdays when they collect, and no one's like, man, I can't wait to take out the trash cans. Man, Wednesday, it's almost here. What a joy for me to reel this thing out to the backyard, to throw a couple more bags in it, just looking forward to see it empty the next day so I could drag it back in, you know. No one does that. But I think that sometimes that's how we see our giving. That's how we see our participation with the things that the Lord has given us to steward. Sometimes, sometimes, I think that we're all human. It's me as well. I know I need to. I know I should to. I know it's good to do so. It's a blessing, but I can easily forget. I can easily put it off you know and maybe you know, some of us say you know i used to be a mess like that but you know i used to not remember the, but now i have it on you know just automatically on my app you know i just i just send it i just set it you know i made a schedule for it it automatically goes out and we live in a world that, facilis- that facilitates that amen to that i i mean i think that discipline is good i think that obedience obviously is good and perhaps in ways that i don't even have to think about i just do it faithfully do it in obedience It keeps me from forgetting, but listen, there's a difference between being disciplined and obedient to do it, amen for that. There's a difference between doing it like that and doing it joyfully, enthusiastically. There's a difference. Because people could give for tons of reasons. Well, it's December 25th, let's make sure we give that big check before the year ends because we need it for a tax write-off. Nothing wrong with that, folks. I'm not criticizing anybody. It's just motivations that we have as humans in our flesh. For others is to, you know, perhaps to gain some reputation. Somehow you want to make it known that you give. So, well, ask Ananias and Sapphira what happened to them in Acts chapter 5. They died because of their arrogance. Some people give because they have this distorted perspective of why we should give, and they think because now I could treat God as this genie in a bottle, and if I give, God needs to respond to me. And now, you know, health and wealth and prosperity. Now, now, God, look at my sacrifice. Now you need to, you promise that you're going to, end this life, in my pocket. I want the house, I want the car, I want the boat, I want the vacation, I want the name, I want the prestige. Now you owe me, God. And some people give with that kind of motivation. To the point, that so much confusion that when you give and things don't go your way, you're asking God, where have you been? Reject God and walk away from the faith because you shipwreck your faith because, because God failed you. Some people, as we said, just give out of sheer discipline because I grew up in the church and I was in Sunday school and and my mother gave me a quarter every single Sunday and every single Sunday in Sunday school, there was a moment where I could drop a quarter in, and this is just what I do. I feel like I'm doing something wrong if I don't do it, so I do it. My point is there's so many ways in which we could be givers. It's possible to give out of a regular routine, to give as you have planned it, to give as you have scheduled it. Another thing is to give enthusiastically in response to grace. To give because you will not be denied to give, because you see your place in God's redemptive work, because you see, you've tasted and seen the sweetness of what the gospel has afforded to you, and the truth that you know that God is in the business of redeeming a people for himself, and there's lost people out there that need to hear the gospel and be redeemed and be brought into the fold of God, that that very thing, that very salvation that has rescued you, God is out to rescue others, and you understand, God doesn't need your money, God doesn't need your help, it's just your privilege. It's just your blessing to do so. Because it's born in you as one who's been born again. You feel most alive. We Christians are most alive when we get away from all the clutter of our lives, all the layers that fog up our minds and our hearts and all the distractions in our lives. We're at the very essence of who we are. If you strip all those things away and one day the flesh will be stripped away completely, we will, be, we will see him as he is and we will find ourselves in eternal bliss forever being joyful in the presence of our Savior. We would desire nothing else because we have everything. But so often our flesh is weak and then We're distracted by the things of this world, yet it's true that that salvation that is to be seen in glory, it is already ours in this life. You see the difference? We don't live as a people who are just going to see fully what this glorious salvation has, will be as the Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. We live as people who stand on a truth that Jesus Christ has died for sinners like us. He's purchased our debt. He's freed us from the bondage of sin and hell. And we can live right now knowing that all those promises are ours in him. Do you see how all of a sudden, the things in this world are not as appealing, not as desirable? You've heard me say this and other people say, you've never seen a hearse In a funeral procession with a U-Haul trailer behind it with all the junk that they acquired. Job said, you know, naked I was born and naked I'll die. And yet everything that we could fit in that trailer, now all the things that, that the Lord can't give us with, to whatever measure, to whatever degree, it's just for us to be stewards and enthusiastic and say, how can I leverage this? How can I show generosity in giving back to God in order to see the gospel, the flag of the gospel, the banner of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ known in my city and in my world. We should, just like we, we, we get excited about worshiping God, but we get excited about gathering, as we get excited about singing, or hearing God's word, or just waking up on a Sunday morning, this is the day of the Lord, I think we need to be excited about giving too. Our offerings. These Christians, they gave voluntarily, spontaneously. They weren't under any type of arrest, any type of pressure. No one was telling them, if you don't give, you will be disobedient. There is no kind of list that they, that they, need, that they needed to maintain. They weren't uh, uh, trying to win the favor of God and the favor of their leaders. It was just sheer grace. They gave because they wanted to give because they had known the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It became something of primary importance to them. Because you see, we need to remember that it's the grace of God that frees us from sin and to be freed from sin in many ways means to be freed from ourselves. Not just from the devil, the bondage of sin our corrupt nature, we've been freed from us. We're no longer a slave to sin. We could be, as Paul says, a slave to Christ. Which means that if we are freed from ourselves, then we're free just as the grace of God will open our hearts, the grace of God also opens our hands. When we're freed from ourselves, we're freed from being enslaved to things of this world. We're now compelled to have a passion, to have goals, desires, longings that are now falling in step with God's desires. His kingdom, not ours. So, my question to us this morning, the the charge to us is, is do we give enthusiastically? Do we rejoice when we give? Is giving something of primary importance? Because it's always been part of god's people god's people have always been givers of their time of their talent but yes their possessions and their treasure you want to measure a person's maturity don't just measure the time they put in the talent they might have the gifts from the lord Also look at their generosity with the things that the Lord has given them in their resources. God's people have always been givers. Exodus, way back, Old Testament, second book of the Bible. um, Exodus 35, 5 and 6, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, Moses says, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold Silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twined linen, goats' hair. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring to the Lord. When Solomon had built the temple for the Lord, all the leaders, it says in First Chronicles twenty nine six through nine, then the leaders of fathers of houses made their free will offerings. As did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and and of officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. They were building the kingdom of God. They They were giving back for the work of the Lord to support it all. This is the Old Testament saints. They gave freely, they gave willingly, they gave with joy. Why? Because the grace of God. And because it was of primary importance to their lives. And these churches in Macedonia, as he's charging the church at Corinth, he's like, why is it that they give this way? Why are they so generous? A wealth of of generosity in their part. Why? Because they're responding to God's grace. And because it was of primary importance to their Christian life. And it happens in this order. Look at verse five with me for a second. And Paul says, and this, not as we expected, it surprised him and he was encouraged, right? He said, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Always happens in that order. They gave themselves first to the Lord, blown away by the grace of God. And then that compelled them Then then that is, they gave themselves to us by the will of God. The purposes of God, of God rescuing and saving them, now God is now using them, their faith, to believe the gospel, to be amazed at the gospel, that then now they would respond to grace with this wealth of generosity. And Paul is, is exhorting this church at Corinth you know, speak about all the things that they do well and, and maybe exhort us in this same way. When you look at verse 7, as he's urging Titus in verse 6, who had started this offering, that they should complete this act of grace. He tells the church at Corinth, yeah, as you, as you excel in everything, all the things that you do as a church, right? As you excel in faith, stir each other up in worship. We come to church on Sunday morning and we sing songs. We're excited to do that. We're excited to have a time of fellowship. We're excited to be part of a, of a discipleship you know, class before this service. We're, we're all in for Sunday. You know, as you excel in faith, as you excel, he says, in speech, you live to, you know, you have to share the gospel with others, to teach, to encourage others. We're here for the ministry of the word, to love one another with God's word. As we excel in that, as we excel also in knowledge, oh, the love for God's word, the love of theology, the love of wanting to discover the deep truths of the Bible, we, we desire all those things. Even here, at promise, all these things, faith, speech, and knowledge, we love and we want to excel in these things. It says, even in, in all earnestness and in our love for you, but in the love that we might have for each other, for in all the things that we do, he says, excel in this act also. Don't leave this area behind. In other words, it's as important as anything else that you do. Oftentimes, responding to the gospel is, man, I just respond with singing. And depending on what church you go to, you respond, ah, you're going crazy, you know, just, just. I wish we had a few more crazy people in this church, yeah? I, I would have blind. Respond to gospel, you know, you know what, I'm going to give my life every day at the church, you know, every six hours, you know, because that's what we do. Saturday morning, you know, we have a prayer thing, you know, we go, you know, and respond, 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 but for some reason, all of a sudden we talk about money, we talk about giving back, and it's like... Um, I have an appointment, I have a doctor's appointment today, I just, I can't make it to that meeting, you know? And yet, I know that the Lord, by his grace, in this church, there's a wealth of generosity. Folks, I am not knocking on anyone or anybody or, hear me, this church exists because people in this church collectively This church is not composed of two or three sugar daddies, trust me. This church is composed of 200-plus people that are sacrificing themselves, responding to grace in their generosity when it speaks of their giving. But here's what I want to say. We're never satisfied. Because there's always room for me to respond to God's grace all the more. God's grace, man, we can never outgive God, and we can never repay God, and we can never, you know, all we could do is offer our lives to God. And by God's grace, as we, as we do this church thing, as as we are, I consider ourselves to be a healthy church where the gospels being proclaimed and we're, and where community is happening, and we're seeing people. Uh, you know, saved, and God doing beautiful things. People are growing, marriages are being restored, children are being raised up in the ways of the Lord. I want us to excel in all those things. But Paul says, excel in this act also. May we be known as, look, may our legacy be, yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ at the center of it all, God's word. But part of that conversation of the legacy of Providence Road that it would be they were not in it for themselves. That they existed to give it away for the fame of Christ. And to make Christ known. That, re- that requires for all of us to be in, right? Generosity in giving is a work of God's grace. It's not manufactured. It's not just by responding to a command that people give. It, you have to do these things. A response to God's grace it's of primary importance to the Christian life but thirdly I would say generosity and giving magnifies love specifically the love and the work of Christ if you look at verses eight and nine with me you see this is not a command he's, he's there saying I'm not you know I'm not just basing this out of a you know a Command that I, I'm ordering you to do this because I don't even find them in scriptures. But, but he wants them to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, that this is the proper response to God's word and the truth of the gospel. Paul is more interested in their gen, that the generosity be rooted not in a command, but rooted in love. As I said earlier, Judaism said everything's a rule, everything's a law, everything's a requirement, but not grace. Grace is we respond in obedience, yes. But we respond to what we have already received. We don't work our way to heaven. We don't keep the laws to be you know, pleasing to God. Jesus, in our place, lived a perfect life. He didn't come to abolish the law because the demands are still there. But he came to fulfill the law that we could not. And by faith and trust in Him and His finished work alone, by faith in Him, we've been accepted, we've been adopted into the family. We're seated at the table. We have the last name. We have a future in glory. We have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. And when we are generous In love, what we are doing is we are reflecting the love of God in Jesus Christ, because God demonstrated his love in giving us his son, for God so loved the world. People who respond to God's grace by giving themselves to God have no problems being generous in giving. And if we give ourselves to God, and giving back to God will always re- result in giving our lives for others. For the cause of Christ, the fame of Christ, and the benefit and the blessing of others. See how that works? Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Why should we not give ourselves to him and to others? The giving of the Macedonians was grace-driven, Christ-centered, and it was Christ-like, Their motivation was love rooted in him. And Paul uses Jesus as an example. We don't always use Jesus as an example. We believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus, but his example is is, is in so many ways unattainable. But that because he is perfect, he's never sinned, he's perfect righteousness. Thank God it's not just follow me and be like me in order to be, have favor with God. No, it's believe in me that I've done these things for you, but now in response, live like me in my power, in my spirit. So Jesus, who has given us his spirit, who's transforming us, into the image of himself who's taking us from glory to glory, as we walk with God, as we are amazed at God's grace, as we mature in the faith, you know what's happening? We're aligning ourselves, we're becoming more like Christ. And so Paul is thinking in his mind, look, here is the reason why we should be generous. Here here are the reasons why we we should be holding on to all earthly treasure and, and to be in it for ourselves. He says in verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, by his poverty, might become rich. Oh, Jesus, the ultimate truth of this, embodying this truth. How was Jesus rich? Well, he was rich in his person, because Jesus was God himself. He is the eternal God. He is rich in all his possessions because everything that is is his. Everything you have that think that you think is yours, guess what? But, you know, I'm gonna burst your bubble here for some. Everything you have is really his. Belongs to Jesus. All of creation, all, all of it was created by him and for him. He is the King of kings, he's the Lord of Lords. He is rich in his person. As a, as a second person of the Trinity, the triune God, he is rich in his power as well. because He says there in verse 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. The one who created the heavens and the earth has all, all power because he himself is God himself. But yet, yet, in spite of all these realities about his person, he became poor in other words he was incarnated he became one of us he became a human being he became flesh sinless but he became one of us he took on human flesh he left his throne to become not the king of kings and the lord of lords although he is positionally but he came in human form to be a suffering servant you know, the churches of Macedonia had their extreme poverty and severe affliction. Jesus, all the more, suffered extreme poverty and severe affliction, afflictions when he went to the cross at Calvary. When he felt the abandonment of the Father, when he cried out, Father, where are you? And his redeemed in the churches of Macedonia identified with Christ in such a way that the love of Christ was magnified in their life and it compelled them towards living like Christ. Giving up, dying for friends. No greater love than this, than one would die for their friends. Generosity and giving is a work of God's grace. It is of primary importance to the Christian life. It magnifies the love and the work of Christ. And lastly, fourthly, Generosity and giving reminds us that Christ is our greatest reward. Why did he do it? Verse 9. So that we might become rich. Without Christ, we're poor. So poor, as a matter of fact, we're bankrupt before God. When we... Are confronted with the gospel, and we start to evaluate. Okay, okay, how will God accept me? Oh God, I see Your holiness, Your righteousness. I see my sin now. Now, oh, you, I need to be forgiven of my sin. Okay, okay, let me take out my list of all the things I've done well and all the things I've done bad, and and, and you know maybe hey on the merits of how good I've been, maybe You could give me access to heaven, because I go to church or. Do certain things. No, no, no. The testimony of the Bible is that your best fell short. Your very best is like filthy rags. You come before the Lord if you're at the table with him and you've got to put everything on the line. Everything on the table. Here's what I have to offer. you like, oh, goodness, I don't have anything. And yet Jesus steps in our place and he gives his own life. He says, you have nothing, I have everything. This beautiful transaction of being you know, justified in him, that he would take on our debt, our bankruptcy, take it to the cross, and in turn, by faith, that we would receive his glorious righteousness and be accepted in God. I mean, so what is, what is, what is it about being generous with our giving? What is the end game? What are we receiving Folks, what we receive is Christ himself. That's the reward. That's the reward. Christ himself, that we would enjoy all the benefits, the love of Christ, that what is now something we can't see, a, a somebody to whom we pray and trust in one day for all eternity we will see him face to face we will see him as he is we will be with him forever and ever what is the hope of the Christian the reward of the Christian is not the money in this life it is not the pleasures of this life it isn't even the streets of gold in heaven it's Jesus Jesus and him alone So those of us who are rooted in him and covered in his righteousness, invited into the triune relationship with God, we can live believing that all the benefits of the gospel are ours now. And all of a sudden when we believe that by his grace, then all the things that we have are not so life-defining anymore because our identity is found in Christ. So how could we not be givers How can we not, how can we refuse to not be generous? Just like these churches in Macedonia, can we not follow their example? I pray that this could be said of us. The charge for this Corinthian church, apparently they started this offering and they didn't complete it. And Paul's like, hey guys, complete what you started and be like these churches over here that they responded to God's grace. They gave out of God's grace. They gave as something of primary importance to them. They gave because it magnified the love and the work of God, of Christ. They gave because ultimately it's all about Christ, our greatest reward, their greatest reward. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, you know that at Providence Road, we've never passed a plane in front of everybody, of anybody. Nine years in this, it almost nine years that we've never put a plate in front of anybody's face. Some people are blown away by that because they've never seen it. Well, it's just pretty normal around here. We have these offering boxes around our building, downstairs, upstairs. We have an app, website, people. We call people to respond to grace, and to the measure of grace, we do so. Now, Now, in some uh, circles, you'll hear, hey, you know, it's easy to give. I mean, look, God just wants 10% of your income. You keep 90, what a deal. 90's yours, 10%'s God's. You know, the 10% principle, the tithe, is really an Old Testament principle. It's very difficult to make the argument in the New Testament. I dare say you cannot make the argument that 10% is the teaching of the New Testament, but yet I know that we need to be good stewards of everything we have. You need to have a budget. You need to make decisions. You can't be reckless in the things that you do because all of it, again, all of it, everything you have, your business, your home, all of it is to be leveraged for the gospel, but listen, 90% isn't yours and 10% God's. It is all God's. Everything is his. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we give in response to God's grace. And here's what you've heard me say a hundred times. Old Testament saints, with a blurred view of the gospel, they were saved by faith in that God would provide a Messiah, somehow God would make things right, they trust in God, not in their works. That's how they were saved. And they gave upwards of 25, 26%. Obviously, they had layers upon layers in their offerings in Judaism, and, and you know, 10% tithes was there in the temple, t- you know, t- taxes and all these things, I get it. But they gave enthusiastically, many did, those who were saints. I've always said that how, we who are on this side of the cross, the Spirit of God that dwells in us, who see with clarity, more clarity, the truth, The cross of Christ and the mercy of God and Jesus Christ, the grace of God has redeemed us. We've been born again. And we're going to be like, you know, here's what I keep. Here's what you have, God. we should give in response to grace. Extravagantly, above and beyond. Always finding ways to give more. What can I be more free to? Because here's the truth. When you don't give, every time you don't give, is because you have made something a priority over the gospel, God's grace in your life. You know what, the problem that we have as Americans, we have idols everywhere. We have stuff to throw our money to all the time because we find a sense of pleasure in those things. And I pray that by God's grace, we will find the pleasures that we are looking for in Christ alone and respond rightly. Here's, here's what the New Testament teaches, and we're almost done here. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Here's how Paul would phrase it. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the reason why we don't put a plane in front of your face so that you're not tempted to say, somebody's watching, so I guess, you know. No. You give as you respond to Grace. But Paul does say in chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You will see the beauty, and you will taste the the results of, 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 of the gospel going forward and the delight of the gospel in our lives when we give. In other words, if you give a lot, you receive a lot. And It's not necessarily money eternal reward and glory. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? So how do we respond? We'll end with these three ideas. I'm not gonna expound on them. I'm just gonna give them to you. Three ideas on how you and I can be generous with our giving in our context. This is where God has placed us. Members of Providence Road, this is where the Lord has placed you. We're to be generous in this place together because we're the church. The call to the church at Corinth, using the example of the Macedonians, is for us now. Here's what we need to do number one, give your life to the mission of God in this church. In this church. God has placed you here to be part of his mission here. I know that sometimes you might not like your church. Oh, I wish we did this, I wish we did that, I wish we did that. Guess what? Your family is still your family. And pray that that the Lord would lead your leaders and lead your pastors and, and that we would head in the right direction and we believe that the Lord is leading the way he is by his grace. Give your life to the mission of God in this church. Secondly, understand the mission of your church. Know where we're going and what we're doing. Give so that the gospel will continue to go forth in this place, starting at home. You know that we have this general fund and we are planting churches, we have a church planting fund, and a missions fund, a benevolence fund. We're we're helping people as they survive that have needs and we're helping missionaries around. We are helping church plants, five, six church plants. We help financially two churches we've planted. You know, we wanna plant more. Know and understand the mission of the church, how we wanna be a family that truly understands what it means to be the family of God. And so that you know, most of you know, June is the last month for the private school that's been renting this property for 50 years. You know what's going to happen in July? We have 13,000 square feet to play with. It's going to be weird for us. Like, we, like we're going to start our services and half of you guys are in that building. <laughs> checking it out. I like, we, we, I mean, we'll probably have to put a speaker over there. Service is starting, service is starting. So everybody's checking it out. And you know what we desire for this, this place that the Lord has given to us? That for generation after generation, the gospel will be proclaimed here in a visible way. And that people will be raised and sent out and trained and that we would be an imperfect family made perfect in Christ. We're going to have to start a building fund of some kind. We've got to raise support to make this, re- this remodel that some of you already know about. More on that to come. Understand, give your life to the mission of God in this church. Understand the mission of my church. And lastly, I said I would just throw them out there, but you know me. Believe that God's grace can cause extravagant generosity in all of us. Believe that God can do all this in us as he's already done. And let's rest and glorify and rejoice in our Savior as he does it. Amen. Amen.